Welcome to Blaine Christ the King. You are listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at our campus location in Blaine, Washington. Thanks for tuning in. To a new series called Chasing the Wind uh, in Ecclesiastes. And the way we're going to kick off every week is by having different members of the CTK community uh, bringing the gospel and uh, speaking and just sharing a little bit of the uh, just straight out of the passage. Uh, so you can turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, right at the beginning, uh, or it's going to be up on the screen for you. So it says this The words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but, not, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been and what will be and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has begun, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things to be. Thanks, Johnny. So yeah, we're, uh, we're starting a series this morning out of Ecclesiastes. But before we get into the passage, just, just have a really serious question for you guys. Um, how many Seahawks fans are there in the house today? A few. Okay, so this will really resonate with you Seahawks fans. Um, and the others, just play along like you care, okay? Um, just pretend you care for a minute, okay? Um, but where were you on the play? You guys remember the play? Every Seahawk fan should know the play, right? It's been called the worst play in NFL history. Okay, it's... it's uh, it's just uh, one of those plays that changed everything, you know? Um, so we were about to win our second Super Bowl. We're about to be a dynasty in sports, right? And so we, uh, if, if you remember the play right before that, this guy Jermaine Curse made this amazing catch. Like, it just seemed destined that we were going to go down and score on this last play to win the Super Bowl. And I'm sorry if I'm opening uh, old wounds this morning. Uh, but we have Marshawn Lynch in our backfield. Beast mode, right? Like, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. Um, but instead of handing him the ball, uh, we decide to toss the ball at the one-yard line. And, of course, like, the Patriots cornerback shoves our guy out of the way, intercepts it, game over, we lose. Do you remember the room you were in when that happened? Do you remember? Was there shouting at the television in that room? No? Just silence? Dead silence? Total silence. Like, what just happened? <laughs> um, but if you remember before that, like, the, the Seahawks were kind of, like, 
it, almost like uh, unmovable, unshakable, like they could do no wrong. And so this play just turned like everything upside down. All of a sudden they were just a losing football team. And I remember in our room there was a lot of screaming at the television, not from me, there's just bewilderment. Um, but it was shocking, it was shocking. And today as we get into this series called Ecclesiastes, we're gonna talk about how life is full of dis disillusionment. Like we start out uh, thinking one way that life's going great and then something happens and everything changes. Uh, we can get a real easily turned from being really high on life to having a real uh, negative view of life. And we can realize how fragile life is. You know, when we lose someone, when we get fired from our job, um, when we fail or someone else fails us and everything seems to crumble, we all face disillusionment at times in our life. And what the book of Ecclesiastes does is it meets us in that place of disillusionment. When life turns upside down, um, that's where Ecclesiastes kind of shows up. It meets us uh, when we're fed up with life. It meets us in frustration. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this idea of chasing the wind, that so much of life just feels like we're chasing the wind. And also, we I want to encourage you guys not just to, um, not just to, to listen on Sunday, but we also want to encourage you to be uh, reading the book of Ecclesiastes during the week, like doing a Bible study uh, in your program. There's a, a little, there's, I think there's a little, uh, half-page sheet there called the Proapt, and it's just a way to study the Bible. Uh, maybe you've thought, man, I want to study the Bible beyond just reading it, but I'd like a tool on how to do that. That's just a little tool um, for you guys to use uh, in your Bible study. There's some questions there. Um, but you might be wondering, you know, why go through Ecclesiastes? Like, isn't that like a depressing book? Um, you know, I come to church to get encouraged. Like, why spend so much time going through this book that sounds really depressing? And so there, I have a couple answers for you. One is just in, uh, is that it's God's word. In 1 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So there's no part of scripture that can't transform our lives. There's no part of scripture that can't just speak to our hearts. Like every part of scripture can speak to us right where we're at. Right where we're at. And so my hope is as we journey through this book that God speaks to you. Um, wherever you're at, whatever you're dealing with. Um, and the second answer is this, is that people everywhere are desperate for meaning. And that's the kind of the, the topic that Ecclesiastes takes head on is our search for meaning. Our desire to try to create meaning in our lives. Um, each one of us are looking for meaning in our lives. Um, Mark Sayers is a pastor and a social commentator in Australia, and he said that humans are meaning-making creatures. Like, that's just what we do. We try to find meaning in every part of life. Um, and if we don't have a larger thing, larger story to connect ourselves to, we're kind of left to just creating meaning for ourselves. Um, there's an American writer named Henry Miller who said this about life. He said, life has to be given meaning because of the obvious fact that it has no meaning. So if there's no God, then we just end up creating meaning for ourselves in, in whatever we, we choose. Um, 
And maybe, maybe you've felt that, you've had that experience in life, like you've tried different things to try to find meaning in your life. Um, maybe you've tried to, you thought a relationship or, or even a marriage would like provide the meaning that your heart always craved, only to find out that your spouse or the person in your in, that you're in a relationship with is just as imperfect as you. Um, you know, maybe it was trying to find pleasure in life and, and you realized how, how fleeting it is, how fleeting pleasure is, um, that often our pursuit of pleasure leaves us in a worse place than we were at before, um, often in an addiction or something um, that we can't control. Maybe you've become disillusioned with friends or um, even with the church that, that, that you feel has failed you. Maybe you feel like your community is like falling apart and so you're desperately looking for a place to belong. But it's easy to be become disillusioned about all these different things. And whatever it may be, Ecclesiastes meets us in our place of disillusionment. Ecclesiastes is uh, one of the wisdom books in the Old Testament. And it's probably one of the most unique of the wisdom books because um, it's written in the negative. So it's written negatively. Like you go to Psalms and Proverbs and it, it, it's written with a hopeful view. Um, Ecclesiastes is, is written negatively. Um, it's going to bring us down before it builds us up. Uh, it's going to deconstruct life before it gives us the answer. And the main character and probably the author of Ecclesiastes is this guy they call the preacher. Um, in Hebrew, the word is koheleth. You can say that ten times fast. Um, but the preacher is someone who can gather a crowd, someone who, who brings like, a, like an assemblyman, it says, like a guy who can, or a gal who can draw a crowd together, um, someone who's compelling to listen to. Um, and the reason why the preacher in Ecclesiastes is so compelling is that he's like a real VIP. Like he's really important. He's a... He's a mega celebrity. Um, he's not just some random guy in a black shirt on a, with a microphone. Like, he's a real star. Uh, Ecclesiastes calls him the teacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. And what the book is pointing to is this guy Solomon, the king of Israel, is the preacher and the author of the book. Now, if you know anything about Solomon, he lived like a rock and roll lifestyle. Like, he did whatever he wanted to do. Um, he was the wealthiest king in the history of Israel, one of the wealthiest people who had ever lived. Um, Solomon had everything he could possibly want and more. He had done, ev done it all. Um, he tried everything, and he gets to that in Ecclesiastes. He's like, I tried this, and I tried this, and I tried this, and there's no meaning. And, you know, that's, that's basically what it is. Like, he had... Over, he had a thousand wives and concubines. Like he had, he had like a wife village going on, you know, just for, just for his his wives. Um, he built the temple, the great temple in Israel. He built gardens everywhere. Um, he he uh, he was given the gift of wisdom beyond what anybody else had ever experienced before. Um, so he was just a guy who had lived life. The, the picture I get in my head is, is anybody remember those Dos Equis commercials with the most interesting man in the world? Like, that's who I feel like Solomon is. Like, he's that guy who's, like, done it all and, and that you sit down with and he just tells you how it is. 
And uh, yeah, the stay thirsty, my friends guy, that, that guy. But like, you know, you just picture this like almost Harrison Ford type guy, you know, this tough looking old guy who's been there, done that. And so if that helps, just picture that guy talking to you through this series and not me. Um, but the first thing that he says is vanity of vanities, all is vanity, which is really encouraging, right? Um, the guy who's done it all says that everything is vanity. So let's talk about that word vanity because it appears over and over in this book. And what the, that word vanity is, is the Hebrew word hevel, um, which literally means a breath, vapor, or smoke. He's saying that life is like a breath. Life is like a vapor. It's like your breath on a cold day. It appears for a moment and then it's gone forever. And that is his conclusion on life. So when he says the word vanity over and over again, he's complaining that life is just this fleeting thing that we can try to grab onto, but we just can't get it. As soon as you see it, as soon as you try to grab onto it, it dissipates into the air and is gone forever. You can't harness a breath. You can't harness a vapor. Um, you can't grab onto it and try to take control of it. It's not, nothing is going to stop it from disappearing. And so what he's saying is as much as we want to control our lives, we're still just a breath. We're still just grabbing, chasing the wind, trying to grab on to a vapor. I think it's interesting that Jesus says in Matthew, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, but whoever uh, loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, I think part of that is because trying to save our lives is silly, right? We can't save our lives. As much as we try to grab onto the vapor, we can never hang on. And so Jesus is saying, hey, live for what matters. Like, don't try to, to live it up like your life is just this vapor that's disappearing. Like, live for what matters. I think uh, I just heard the kids cry. Hopefully they're okay. Uh, um, but, but a vivid picture of this is if you've ever, if you've ever walked around a cemetery, you kind of get the idea of, of how temporary life is, that life is just a breath. Like, you see these people who've, whose lives are already lived. I know there's times where I've walked around a cemetery and thought, you know, at one point, everybody in this place was fully alive. Everybody in this place had their full life ahead of them, you know, just like, just like I have. Everybody had a point where their whole life was ahead of them, but we're all just a vapor. It's all vanishing. And so what the book of Ecclesiastes calls us to do is to understand how short life is, that life is just a breath that most of the stuff that you care about right now is going to pass, uh, that, that it is vanity. And outside of Jesus, all is vanity. And so the overarching theme in Ecclesiastes is this, is that in the end, without God, everything is pointless. Well, that's encouraging, Tyler. Thank you. Thank you. This is great. I'm excited for this. Um, but Solomon goes into this. He goes in verse 3. He says, what does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And that phrase, under the sun, is going to appear again and again throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. It basically means, you know, under the sun basically means anything that's earthbound, anything that is non-spiritual, anything that's without God. You know, what does a man gain from all the toil at which he toils 
under the sun. What do we gain from our work? Um, I'm a music guy, and there's an artist named Ben Folds. He had a song called Fred Jones Part Two, and he really captures this point, the futility of work. And if you came here like tired out from your job, maybe this is gonna push you over the edge. I'm sorry for that. Uh, but no, he has, this, he has this song called Fred Jones Part Two, and he, it's about this guy named Thread, uh, Thread, Fred, sorry. Um, he's at his last day at his job at the newspaper. It says, 35 years he's worked at the paper, and a man's here to take him downstairs. So basically this guy, Fred, and, and this is like a kind of a real life scenario. You know, you've plugged away at the same job for 35 years, and all of a sudden, it's over. And somebody's here to take you downstairs. Says they already have a replacement. He says there's an awkward young shadow that waits in the hall. It's like they already have his replacement. They're already done with him. And then the conclusion of the song is really spot on. He says, no one that's left here knows his first name. And life barrels on like a runaway train where the passengers change. They don't change anything. You get off. Someone else can get on. Like it's kind of this idea like, all that we work for, all that we're doing, all that we're establishing for ourselves will one day be replaced. And then the last line is that he's forgotten but not yet gone. I'm like, man, this song is Ecclesiastes to a point, man. Good job, Ben Folds. Um, but, but it's that idea that, that, you know, we try to create meaning in different places and we invest so much maybe in our workplace and, and uh, in the end, like, it's going to be over. You can invest your whole life in a career and it'll be over in a minute. And that makes us call out for some kind of deeper meaning. And maybe you've felt that pain of this guy, Fred, like you worked really hard at something for a long time and then it was over in an instant, a job, school, a community, whatever, and, and all of a sudden it's done and gone or you're replaced or whatever talks about how life barrels on like a runaway train. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> like we can't slow it down. We can't stop life from moving on. You know, everything that we're building will one day be gone. It's like, this is encouraging. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah. But, um, but that's the question that Ecclesiastes asks. What do we get from all of our work, all of our toil? You know, my grandpa was one of those guys who lived for his work. He poured all of himself into his career um, at the expense of his family. He went through two divorces, um, you know, and it was like at the end of his life, he was just thinking about the glory days. Like, remember when? Remember when I worked? You know, remember, uh, you know, all the places he traveled to, those sorts of things. Um, and he would never admit any regrets, but I always wondered, like, what were those regrets. Like if he could go back and change his focus, um, what would he change? If he could do it all again, what would he have done differently? Because the harsh reality of life is that without God, all the work that we put our hands to is pointless. That we can't find lasting meaning through our work. Um, it's all in the moment. It's all in the moment and it lasts for a moment. And you might say, well, work is not my thing. Like, you know, I find my meaning in family, which is a good thing. You know, we're called to love our families. We're called to lay down our lives for our families. Like, it's the primary place that God calls us to love. Um, but even Solomon wants to see, 
even our families, as temporary, as part of that life barreling on um, as breath. He says in verse 4 that a generation comes and a generation goes, you know, um, but the earth remains forever. You know, one day our kids that we're raising are going to get married and leave, like that's what God tells them to do. Unless the housing market's bad, and then they might stay in the house. But, you know, <laughs> the message of Ecclesiastes is even our family is temporary. Even our family is, is uh, part of that breath. You know, families constantly change. If you think back 20 years, and for some of you, you were younger than 20, so that's not going to really hit home. But if you think back 20 years, think about how much your family's changed just in 20 years. A lot. And so even if we love our family to no end, we have to have a greater meaning in life. And so this is the big question that we have to ask today. What are you building with your breath? That's a weird question, right? But if you understand breath as hevel, as that, as that life that appears for a minute and then is gone, what are you really building with your breath? Because we all just have one breath that's dissipating into the air. We all have our one moment. And what are you going to do with it? Um, I want to look at Psalm 62, uh, verse 5. This psalm is written by King David, which is Solomon's dad. Um, and you'll notice that this word breath shows up in this. But let's read Psalm 62, 5. It says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And then here's the last part. Those of low estate are but a breath. And those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. I think that's so interesting, the way that this is put together. That David is saying, my only hope, my only life, my only source my, of, of refuge and fortress is in God. And then he switches and he says, those of low estate are but a breath. There's that word hevel again. Those of high estate are a delusion. Um... What that word delusion means, it literally means a lie. That we can, if we don't realize um, that our life is just a breath, that we're actually living a lie. Like if we try to live for all the, all the temporary things, all the pleasure, anything that we can find in our lives outside of God, that it really just is a lie. And so the truth that David shows us in Psalm 62 is that we can't create our own happiness. Uh, we can't create our own meaning. In the end, all those roads will disappoint us. There's no amount of pleasure or status or social media followers that will add up to meaning in our lives. Um, because at the end of the day, our life is just a breath. We just choose to live like it's not. And so what is life about for David? And this is what he says. He says, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is in him. For David, life is about pursuing the presence of God. It's about having God the center of his life, for him to be his entire hope, that he's not trying to build hope for himself. He's just trying to hang on to God, not, not just, as, um, not, not just um, 
for dear life, but that he would actually be his fortress. Like David's not trying to build a fortress for himself. He's relying on God as his fortress. He says, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be, be shaken. And if there's one thing that we want in this life, it's security. We want to have security for us, for those we love. And what David is pointing to is there is no security in just grasping at the breath. The security is found in God as our fortress, that God would build the walls around our life. And that when God builds the walls around our life, like those stay up. Those don't fall. He says, on God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. That everything in our lives rests, all of our meaning, all of our purpose rests on this relationship that we have with God. So that's the question. Do you trust God with your breath, with your hevel? Do you trust God to be your rock, to be your salvation, to be all those things? God wants us not to live delusional lives. God wants us to live lives where we realize our moment and where he is the center of our moment. I can share how I've been delusional. Um, I mentioned, you guys think, yeah, you're pretty delusional anyways, but um, no, but I, I can share moments where I've been d- delusional lately. I mentioned the Seahawks earlier. I'm a guy who likes sports. Like, I, I like following sports. Um, and I've had to do some surrendering to God lately because I've been following it too much, you know? I've been listening to, like, sports radio, and God's saying, man, you just need to be spending time praying in your car instead of, like, listening to all this stuff. Because what I've realized is it's all smoke, right? It's just, it's just the temporary fleeting stuff of life, and yet, like, I want to consume it, right? And so God's, told, God's asked me, convicted me, like, lay that down. And um, I don't know what it is for you, but we, there's tons of things that we can just get caught up in that are momentary things, that are fleeting things, that in, in a year, two years, three years, five years, it's not really going to matter. And God would call us all not to live for that stuff, not to live for the smoke. And so my challenge to you this morning is don't live for the smoke. Live for the God who is your rock and your salvation. Don't live in the smoke trying to grasp all this stuff. Live for the God who's your rock and your salvation. Because it's only in God that we will build anything that can last. It's only through our relationship with God that we can actually bear spiritual fruit in our lives. And so we need him. We need to follow him with everything. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there there your heart will be also. And so here's the challenge to you guys today. Is when we read this verse right here, is this something that's aspirational for you? Or is it actual? Is this something that seems like a good idea? Like, yeah, I'll lay up for myself. I'll I'll lay it all down to build up treasure in heaven. Or is it actual? Is it something that you're you're putting your feet to and doing? Because that is the question of life. I don't want to get to heaven and have not laid up treasure there. And have just lived for the moment. 
And so we need to determine in our hearts, like, is this something that is aspirational, that, like, is a good idea, or is it something that we're actively living out? Because it's easy for us to, to want to pursue that, but to get stuck in the smoke, to get stuck in all the things of life, all the little details, and God would call us out of that and to be go all in with, with him. I've got treasure that will last forever. And that's where our faith comes in. Do we have the faith to build up treasure in heaven, not on earth? Are we willing to surrender the smoke to build up treasure in heaven? It's possible to say that we love Jesus, but then live for the temporary things of life. It reminds me of my kids. I love my kids. Um, But there are times as a parent where I get frustrated where I'll ask them to do something. When, whenever I'm getting them ready for school, it's like, okay, go get dressed, go get ready. And they'll say, okay, Dad. And then I come back five minutes later, and they're playing. Anybody else have this experience? Just me? Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them again, like, okay, okay, it's time to get ready. It's time to go. And I'll walk away. Five minutes later, I come back, and they're playing. They're doing whatever they want to do, right? And that's probably my most frustrating moment. Not if my kid tells me no, but if he says, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do that, and then just does whatever they want to do, right? And I wonder if that's how we treat God sometimes. Like, you know, we want to be all in with God, but then we're so busy in the smoke that we don't really see what he's doing. We're not really obeying him. And so the difference between laying up treasures in heaven and laying up treasure on earth is that obedience. Are we doing what God wants us to do? Are we following his word? Are we living for his will? We need to ask ourselves, what are we building with our breath? And worship team, you guys can can come up. Are we allowing God to use our breath to bless others, to love others, to serve others in our time of need? Are we using our breath to get to know the one who gave us breath, the, the one who life is about? Or are we living in the smoke that will just vanish? Because it's in God alone that we have meaning. It's in our relationship with God alone that we have meaning in life, in, in spiritual fruit, and all those things. It comes out of a relationship with Jesus. And so God wants us to surrender our pursuit of all those things. He's not maybe saying surrender all your stuff, but he is saying surrender your pursuit of all that stuff so that you can pursue me. You know, we can only have one master, and Jesus wants it to be him. He alone is our rock and our salvation. Um, I have this old frame portrait at my house. It's like 115 years old. Um, I'm not like an antique collector, but um, I do have this old portrait hanging on my wall, and it's of the former president, William McKinley. And it's, it's it's pretty old. It's like him and his family. It's one of those pictures you see in movies where like the eyes do this, you know, when you walk back and forth. Some people find it creepy. Um, But the reason I have that um, photo. It's not just for the, for the portrait, but it's for a quote that's under the portrait. And um, in this picture of this former president, there's this quote that says, his last words, God's will, not ours, be done. And I love that quote. Ever since I saw that, I love that quote. God's will, not ours, be done. And the reason why that quote is so meaningful is that there's a story behind it. Um, William McKinley was one of four presidents to be assassinated um, in office. 
you know, he had a strong faith in God. He was actually a Methodist minister before stepping into politics. Um, he had had this successful presidency. He had been reelected, and then all of a sudden, um, someone shot him. And he actually lingered for about 14 days after being shot. And so I just pictured him thinking about how would he respond to, to his breath ending, that life ending. And what I love about this quote is that instead of dying angry at God, he realized that his life was not about his will, but about God's will. He had attained to the highest office in, in the land, the highest degree of importance uh, in our country. But even he realized that life was just a breath. And even he realized that it's about God's will, not his. And he accepted that even in his dying moments. And I just thought that's such a powerful picture. That we live for something that's not just right here, right now. We live for something greater than the smoke. That we can trust God to, to, to be greater than the smoke for life beyond. That life doesn't just have to be a breath, but an eternal relationship with him. Eternal life with him. And that's why that quote is so powerful. I want us all to say with all of our breath, at the end of time, God's will, not ours, be done. When our time runs out, will we be able to say that? Will we be able to say God's will, not ours, be done? Because that is what's going to last forever. Let's pray. God, you... You, God, are, are a rock in our salvation. Lord, it's in you that we have life. Lord, we can run down everything that life has to offer us, and in the end, it'll come up empty, God. Lord, give us your eyes, God. Give us your perspective on life, that we are just a breath, God. But God, we're a breath that you want to use for your kingdom and your glory. God, we're a life that you love, we're created in your image. And so even though life is just a breath, God, you can take it and make it beautiful. And so, Lord, I pray that we would live with the perspective of who we are. God, we would live with the perspective that our life is short, but it has so much meaning in you. That life has so much meaning when we're connected to you, Jesus. Would you connect with us this morning? Would you speak to our hearts, whatever we're going through, God. Lord, would you be with us, God? Lord, there's a lot of pain in that breath, God, our breath of life. We have a short window, and we experience so much, God. Would you be our rock and our salvation, God? Would you be our fortress this morning? Maybe we're trying to run around and rescue our life, the different things that have gone wrong in our life. God, would you allow us to just rest in the fortress of your love, God. In the fortress of your embrace, God. In the, in the love that never goes away. God, would you just be with us this morning, God? Would you be with us this week? As we go out, would you give us your eyes, not to live just in the smoke of life, in the moment, um, but give us eternal perspective. God, give us eternal life perspective. Give us um, a life that's willing to be generous, that's willing to surrender, that's willing to lay it all down to pursue you. God, show us your beauty, that there can be beauty in our lives, God. That there is beauty when you are present in our lives. And I pray that you would reach us this morning, God. We love you in Jesus' name.